Good afternoon, and uh, it's good to be with you guys today as we start a new sermon series in the book of Lamentations. And uh, so the scripture for today comes from Lamentations 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. So you can find this on page 5 in your bulletin or in your own copy of the scriptures. So please stand for the reading of God's word. So Lamentations 1. Uh, verses 1 through 11. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength, before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Thus concludes the reading of God's word. You may be seated and join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this word, Lord. Um, We tremble before it as well. And Lord, we ask that you'd be present with us. Um, You would speak to us now. You would bless the preaching of your word, Lord. And um, Lord, uh, we thank you and we we lift this up uh, in Christ's name. Amen. 
So we can all remember where we were when certain tragic events have happened in our life. Um, I can remember being in sixth grade homeroom when I watched a plane fly into the Twin Towers in 9-11. And for some reason, I don't know why this one sticks with me, um, but I can remember the day that, that Michael Jackson died. I was sitting in my porch. I had just finished reading uh, Jack Kerouac's On the Road, and I set it down, and I went inside, turned on the TV, and it announced you know, on all the news channels that he had died. And, and I'm not even that big of an MJ fan, but for some reason, that is stuck in my, 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 my memory, um, this, this event. Um, and there's probably things like that for you as well. Um, some celebrity or some national tragedy. Um, and even, I think, these, these years, the, the pandemic that's happened, um, and that's completely changed how, how we live. And, and even closer to today, I think, we, we don't have to go very far to just open up our phone and look on the news and we're, we're bombarded with, with a lot of heavy things. Um, just even in the last week, we've heard of almost every single day some kind of tragic event or some injustice or um, something. Um, and so there's a lot in the world uh, that, we can, that we can mourn about. And when we even turn to the church, um, more broadly speaking, we see there's disagreements, there's disunity, there's fighting among Christians. Um, and as the Heidelberg Catechism uh, says in, in question 26, that our, our Christian life is, is like, uh, can be described as a valley of tears. There's, uh, there's a lot of hurt and pain in this life that we go through. Um, so why, why start a sermon series on, on lamentations then? You know, uh, isn't there enough bad things in the world? Why uh, talk about this book that's so so sorrowful and um, doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope in it? Well, um, I, I'm here to tell you today that this is a book for today. It's contemporary. And it's for us Christians here in Seoul um, and around the world. Um, so here's just a quick little background of the Book of Lamentations, and, and some reasons why we should study this today. So the, the Book of Lamentations, just five chapters, and they're five poems, laments, kind of funeral dirges, um, and it's on the occasion of the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 587 B.C. The Babylonians came and sacked the city. Um, now, most people think that uh, the traditional view is that Jeremiah wrote these poems. Some people contest that uh, today, but um, we know that the author had to be some kind of eyewitness to these events. It comes out in, in the poetry. Um, so a unique feature of these poems is that they're, they're alphabetic acrostics. And that might sound kind of nerdy or whatever, but think about Psalm 119, each uh, part of it starts with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So in, in these poems, each stanza starts with Aleph, the A of their alphabet, and it goes all the way to Tau, or Z. So each chapter, or at least one through four, chapter five departs from this. 
And I think there's a reason for that. Um, but it's almost as if the poet here, he's giving us kind of suffering from, from A to Z in its completeness. Um, and I think that's really intentional. These, these poems aren't just these raw outbursts of emotion, but it's very calculated. Um, he's adding order to the chaos of this, this tragic event. And I think it's significant that he goes through the whole alphabet. Um, we don't really see it in, in our English translation. Um, but I think it shows that there's, there's a boundary to our suffering and to our pain. Um, it's not going to last forever. Um, but it gives us space. Lamentations doesn't try to uh, just slap a Band-Aid on our suffering and say, hey, God's in charge, you're going to be okay. Um, it's not that simple. Um, but Lamentations gives us room to process and to grieve uh, in a complete way. Now, why should we study this, this book? I think the first reason is that Lamentations teaches us how to weep, how to mourn, and how to lament. And we see this through the lens of Israel's experience. Um, but as we enter that, uh, we can we enter the story as well. Um, and so there's a right way we can suffer, uh, or we can weep and mourn, and there's also a, a bad way, a wrong way. And so we need to learn how to do this the right way. When suffering comes into our life, it doesn't automatically you know, push us into God's arms. Okay? Um, God can, and he does use suffering for his purposes. He can use that to draw us to him. Um, but it can also have the opposite effect. Uh, suffering can make people bitter, uh, angry at God, even can feel rejected. Um, so we need to learn uh, how to lament biblically in that our weeping, our lamenting is focused on God. Um, we take our pain to God and we trust in his promises, even when the odds are seemingly against us. So Lamentations teaches us how to weep. But secondly, this book, I think, we learn to kind of wrestle with some difficult theological questions. Um, Christopher Wright, he's an Old Testament scholar, he puts it this way, and I think this sums it up well. He says, the essence of biblical lament is faith struggling with vertigo, over the chasm between what it knows to be true about God and the realities of what it sees or experiences in this fallen world. So there's this kind of gap that he's talking about of, we know God's sovereign, he's good, he's loving, but then we also have our experience of living in this fallen world. Um, so we, we're taught to kind of wrestle, I think, um, in, in this poetry. Thirdly, Lamentations teaches us how to pray. It teaches us to cry out to God, um, to be honest with him, to trust in him, um, but also to confess our sins. We will see in a bit. Fourthly, I think this book teaches us to empathize with those who are broken and hurting and, and suffering. Um, as we dive into these, these poems, we're invited to pause and to listen to the voice 
of people who have suffered, real people like you and me. And we're not to, I don't think we're to stand in judgment over them. Um, and so I think this, this is something we need today. We live in this kind of uh, social media outrage culture where we have to have an opinion about something. Um, we need to say something. But this, I think, teaches us to, to slow down a bit. Um, and furthermore, I think the language of lament helps us and teaches us to weep with those who are weeping. Um, we have brothers and sisters in the world who this is their daily um, life, being persecuted and afflicted. Um, and so finally, we should study Lamentations because it's part of God's word. It's the whole counsel of God. Um, he's revealed his redemptive purposes in this book, um, and he's preserved uh, a genre of lament, a vocabulary he's given to his church um, that we need, I think, in times of deep suffering and mourning. So this book kind of acts as like a memorial to suffering um, of God's people. And I think it's incumbent upon us to give ear to what it has to say. I think for us to neglect this portion of scripture is to kind of, it's as if we were to go over to Yongsan. There's the Korean War Museum there. I don't know if you've been. And they have all these walls with all the names of the soldiers who died in the war, Korean, American, Canadian. It's, it's like if we neglect lamentations, it's like if we went there and we decided to put a big drape or we decided to kind of etch out those names and to say, their sacrifice, it didn't matter. Um, and so as we come to lamentations, we kind of enter this house of sorrow um, and we enter not before the, the events, um, but in not like years after, but it's in the immediate aftermath. The book is kind of held in front of us, suspended for us to kind of just hear their pain. Um, and so let's, let's take a look at these first 11 verses and just look at some of the, the different themes here. So verse 1 begins, we enter this world with just one word, the single word, how. Now, in the ESV, it, it's not separated. It just looks like part of, it, you know, it's just one word in a sentence. But actually, this word stands alone in the original. It's an expression of, of grief. Um, it's almost like um, the old-fashioned alas or how we might say when we experience some kind of tragic event, we go, how can it be? I can't believe it. Um, and so there's this grief, shock, disbelief of what has happened in Jerusalem. No one can fathom that the enemies of God have entered the holy city and destroyed it. We quickly move from this word to the scene of uh, this weeping woman, okay, this literary kind of device that's used throughout this chapter, talks about this woman. And this is Jerusalem personified. So it's um, kind of talking about the community that's mourning. Why is she sad? What's happened to her life? Well, Jerusalem's destroyed, but 
all of these reversals have taken place. If we look at verse 1, she's a lonely city. She was full of people. Um, She was great among the nations, but now she's a widow. She was a princess, now a slave. Um, All of her friends have left her. Um, And now, in verse 3, she's she's in exile. She's in hard servitude. She has no home. Um, Her life has been upended. And we see her weeping in the nighttime, the loneliest part uh, of, the, of the night, of, of, of the day. And we see here that in verse 2, she has no one to comfort her, something that's repeated throughout this chapter. Um, in verses 7, we hear again, there's, there's none to help her. Um, in verse 9, we're told again, she has no comforter. So she's mourning, um, she's sad about all of the status that she's lost, and there's no one uh, to help her right now. In addition to this, we see that her children have been taken captive. Um, At the end of verse 5 and in verse 6, it says her princes have become like deer. Um, They've fled without strength. Their, Their leadership has gone out of the city as well. There's no one in charge anymore. And in verse 11, we hear the people groaning. They're they're searching for bread. They're looking for food, but they have none. So they trade their treasures. So we see their suffering is physical. It's emotional. They're distraught. um, But also... Their suffering is also spiritual. You look at verse 4, where it says, The roads to Zion mourn. None come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted. And she herself suffers bitterly. Now Zion, that's the place where the temple, uh, the temple was on top of that, that mountain. And so typically the roads to Zion. Uh, Before Jerusalem was destroyed, people would be flocking to Jerusalem during different parts of the year for for sacred festivals. But now uh, the roads mourn. They're empty. The gates, either to the city or to the temple, there's no one there. They're they're desolate. And the people left behind, they mourn. Um, They're groaning uh, bitterly, it says. And they, they mourn the absence of God's presence in the city. And we can contrast this with Isaiah 51 and a few other places uh, in Isaiah. But uh, 51.11 where it says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee Away. And so no longer is Zion a, a place of, of joy and of gladness, uh, but it's a place of, of mourning in, in the absence of, of God. Now I think, isn't this how suffering kind of happens in our lives? Uh, as, as we see Lady Zion, or Lady Jerusalem here, um, alone, uh, weeping. Uh, first, we don't expect 
suffering and calamity to enter our lives. And that's part of the shock and the grief of it. We never wake up in the morning expecting to get that phone call um, or to hear some diagnosis of some sickness or we get called into our boss's office. Um, you know, I there two weeks ago, I, I woke up in the morning and I had some, some pain in my body and I soon blacked out and uh, it was kind of scary and my wife called the EMT and everything and apparently I'm fine. I think I was just stressed, but still I didn't wake up that morning thinking, you know what would be great, you know, if I had to go to the hospital or something. It just, it happens. Um, it comes into our life unexpectedly. Um, and we feel in those moments like our world is being flipped upside down. Uh, we, we start to think, you know, um, this is not what I expected. This is not how I wanted my day to go. Or I, I, I didn't want to see that person that I love uh, die. But secondly, I think what we see here is there's a deep sense of aloneness and loneliness that pervades our, our suffering. When loved ones pass away, you know, we're the ones left behind uh, to deal with that. Um, we have to move on in our life. When we're sick, maybe in quarantine for two weeks, we have to kind of hide out for a bit. You know, we're the ones left alone to deal with sickness by ourselves. Um, for many of us, living overseas, we're away from our family. Um, and thank God we have the body of Christ here. We have a lot of good friendships, but, but still we can feel um, loneliness being over here. And in this, in all of this, the unexpectedness, the loneliness of suffering, we can sometimes feel like, where is, where is God in all of this? Um, does he hear us? Does, um, is he absent from us? Um, but as Christians, where do we derive our greatest happiness and joy? It's, it's in God, is it not? And so, you know, we're not, we're not immune from suffering just because we're Christians. Um, you know, we, we still have to deal with this stuff. Um, no one, you know, none of us anticipated a global pandemic to, to strike last year. Um, but it affects us. And, but we, as Christians, we do, not, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. As 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, we have a hope. Um, we know that whatever happens in our life, um, sickness, hardship, in death. We know that the Lord brings it about and that um, we will be with him in glory one day. So we see in Lamentations uh, the world up, turned upside down, the devastation of, of Jerusalem. Um, but we also see here that their suffering in Jerusalem, there's a connection with their suffering and their sin. So look at verse 5. Who has done this to Jerusalem? Who has caused this affliction? Well, on one level, it's the Babylonians. They have come in. They have destroyed the city. They have become the head, the master. Um, 
But on another level, it's the Lord who has orchestrated this. He is the one uh, behind the Babylonians coming in and afflicting uh, Judah through them. Now, why this affliction? Well, it says, the multitude of her transgressions. She had many sins, many transgressions. Now, it doesn't list them for us here, but if you look through the book of Jeremiah, it's a good companion to Lamentations, we, we can kind of get a list um, of some of the sins that they committed. Some of them are, uh, they include lying, kidnapping, murder, theft, Sabbath breaking, uh, uh, child sacrifice. They were forming illegitimate foreign alliances with other nations. They shouldn't have been doing that. They should have been trusting in God. Um, but the greatest is, is their idolatry and their continued uh, worshiping of other gods. And if we look uh, in verses 8 through 10 in the passage today, we see just how devastatingly Judah has defiled herself by her sins. And she's brought great shame upon herself. In verse 8, Jerusalem sinned grievously, and therefore she became filthy. Um, in verse 9, it says, Her uncleanness was in her skirts. Um, she took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. And we see additionally that she's kind of been put on display um, in verse 8, that They've all seen her nakedness, and this kind of describes the vulnerability and the weakness of, of Judah and the city there. And she groans. She turns her face away because of, because of her, her sin. And in verse 10, we get a very vivid description of the desecration of the temple by foreign invaders. And it's done very poetically, and it has these very strong sexual illusions that I think are appropriate to that of a military conquest. The enemy has, has come into the temple. They have taken the treasures, the precious things, um, and the nations have entered the sanctuary. Now, the Lord had prohibited this in Deuteronomy 23. He said... Uh, that no Moabite, no Ammonite entered the assembly of the Lord. Um, and there's even some um, people who lived in Jerusalem who were Jews were not even allowed to go in there. And so this was kind of the height of uh, just desecration of, of going into this sacred space. And I think these images, they, they depict very vividly the consequences and the shame of, of sin. It shows their, what happens when, when Israel was unfaithful to their covenant Lord. And it brought about a terrible downfall. And it brought, brings about God's judgment and his wrath. You know, it's kind of like, you know, a student in your classroom. They, they know the rules, but they continue to disobey. And maybe at first you... You warn them. Maybe you take them out. Maybe talk with them a little bit. But eventually, you finally get to the point you have to get administration 
involved, and eventually you expel the student from the school, right? And that's kind of like what's happening here. Jerusalem didn't get destroyed because they just sinned one time, and God was like, well, that's it, you know. And he's right to do that. But the Lord is very gracious, and he has sent uh, his warnings through Moses for thousands of years. Um, God even sends his prophets to warn them of their continued disobedience and sin, and yet they did not repent, and they ignored all, all these warnings. And finally, God's judgment fell upon them. And so I think we need to take warning from this, to take heed. Um, you know, we read from 2 Corinthians earlier, um, chapter 6 and part of 7. And in, in the New Covenant, you know, there's not a temple, per se, physically, but it says, we read there, that we are the temple. The Holy Spirit is, is dwelling within us. And when we continue to, to sin, we, we desire to go down our own paths, we, we desecrate this temple. We pollute it. Just like in verses 8, 8 through 10, I think we need to press these images into our souls of, of what continued sin and disobedience looks like. The sins of God's redeemed are more heinous because we have greater knowledge of his covenant, of his grace, his goodness. And so we must, I think, take heed of the wisdom in, in James 4, 6, that God oppo- opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, I think Judah's sin ultimately is, is kind of a sin of pride. They are, they thought, in Jerusalem we're safe. You know, we, we are God's chosen people. No one can enter the sanctuary. And yet, it happened. Um, and their, their fall was, was terrible. And so we must learn, I think, humility, especially in times of, of suffering. That we'd renew our trust in God as well as examine ourselves and repent of our, of our sin. So we see, we've seen kind of uh, the devastation of Jerusalem, how their world was, was turned upside down, but we've also seen that um, they're not completely innocent in their fall. They're complicit. Um, they continued to sin. And so we kind of go, bef- we go in between, back and forth between kind of pity for her, but then also kind of like, you kind of, you did this to yourself, you know? Um, and so we kind of come to this point now of who, who is going to comfort Lady Jerusalem or, or, or Judah? We've heard throughout that she has no one to comfort her. Is there any hope for her? Things look pretty bleak in this passage, but there are, there are some glimpses of, of hope. And in verses 9 and 11, we finally hear Lady Jerusalem break the silence, and she speaks herself. In verse 9, we hear her say, O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. 
And in verse 11, Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. So we hear, we hear her finally through her sobs and her pain, um, a very short and modest prayer to the Lord. Will she be comforted? Will the Lord answer her? Well, the, the bitter reality of our text is that the heavens do not respond. And what could the Lord possibly say that he had already said? He'd given them his warnings. He'd given them his word. And they did not repent. And as we will see throughout the rest of Lamentations, the Lord remains silent. He does not speak. And I think to our modern sensibilities, I think this is kind of jarring to us. We want that instant gratification of uh, the Lord coming down, fixing everything, making it all right. Um, but there's not, we don't, we don't get that in this text. Um, and I think there's something we can learn from that. And I think Calvin, John Calvin is, is instructive here in talking about these, this prayer, especially in verse 9, where he says, uh, for the people suffering, to entertain good hope and encourage them to pray for true and earnest prayer cannot be offered without faith. For when the taste of God's grace is lost, it cannot be that we can pray from the heart. And through the promises alone, it is that we can have a taste of God's paternal goodness. There is then no doubt but that the prophet here promises a sure deliverance to the Jews, provided they turn to God and believe and were fully persuaded that he would be their deliverer. End quote. So they are to turn back to God, to trust in him, and believe that he will be their deliverer. Now, we, we entered Lamentations at an interesting point in redemptive history because we can look back on this book from past Lamentations and past Calvary. And little does Lady Jerusalem know that the Lord will come down and he will answer these prayers, these cries um, that she prays here in verses 9 and 11. The Lord comes down in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he will make a definitive end to pain and to suffering. He comes as a suffering servant. And it's interesting in this, this chapter, these, or these first 11 verses, notice the parallel between Lady Jerusalem and Christ. I want you to see this. Jesus comes. He also weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus comes and he also has nowhere to lay his head. He has no home. Just as the enemies mocked Lady Jerusalem, so Jesus will be mocked um, in his life. He will have no 
comforter as well. In his final hours, Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest allies. And then his closest friends will also abandon him. Jesus is put to death by foreign invaders um, at their hands. He will become filthy, unclean. He will be stripped naked and put on the cross. And in Matthew chapter 27, we hear Christ on the cross. He, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now what's interesting, it's, it's not just that Jesus quotes Psalm 22, uh, but he takes that psalm and in the midst of his suffering on the cross, Jesus turns to the scriptures for hope and for comfort. And I think this really points to the testimony and the power of the scriptures in the midst of our, our suffering and the hard experiences that we go through to provide comfort. God is, is faithful to his covenant. He does not lie. But so Christ, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we wait for that answer. But he's also met with silence as well. But this silence brings about the greatest thing ever, the redemption of creation. Jesus receives silence that, that we would be accepted by the Father. We would be brought into fellowship with him. And so was there any suffering like that of Christ? Who can fathom the pain and the suffering of our Lord Jesus? But who has caused this suffering? It wasn't his own sins. He was perfect. But it's you, it's me, it's our sin. That was placed on, on Christ. And he received the judgment and the wrath of God that we deserve. But it's through his sacrifice that we have, we have access uh, to the Father, to the throne of grace, that whatever we're, we're going through, whatever suffering, uh, whatever kind of world turning upside down thing we're going through, we have a heavenly Father that we can pour our hearts out. Um, and these are the precious things that we have. And so as we, as we kind of wrap things up here, let's hear these words from Second Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Uh, verse 3, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And so the Lord has, has given us this book, this book of lamentations to uh, to give us wisdom in, in how to suffer. Um, but in it, we see the sufferings of Christ. And it's through his sufferings that we get uh, comfort um, in this life. And so, 
So we have this, I think this book is kind of a, a cordial for, our, uh, for the pain and suffering that we go through. And we also have encouragement, um, ultimately, that we would place our hope in our covenant God. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this book of lamentations, and while there's um, many hard things, there's difficult things to wrestle through uh, in this book, Lord, ultimately, Lord, you are you are present in it. Um, and Lord, we see how it is fulfilled um, in Christ and in his life and his, his suffering, ultimately, Lord. And so, Lord, help us to um, apply the things that we've heard today, um, that we may um, go and uh, seek your glory um, in all that we do, and that we may be able to even um, bless one another, um, to comfort one another as we walk through um, different pains and, and sufferings in this life, Lord. So we thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.